0: welcome back to another youth centered podcast i'm very excited today to have our state representative christina minacucci as our second guest on the savage leadership series thank you for some great feedback about session one with john mcbay from brook school i think people were um, pretty excited to hear a lot of what he said some things that they didn't know about john and a lot of takeaways on his leadership style and values and things. So thank you again, John. And thanks to everybody for listening. So first of all, uh, I want to introduce Christina. But Christina, we, we don't read from a script in terms of a bio. We like to have the person actually talk to themselves. So for the maybe one or two people in North America that don't know who Christina Minacucci is, who is Christina Minacucci and what makes her tick?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. So I could tell you a little bit about where, we, where I started. So I was born in Lawrence. We lived in, with my great grandparents actually when I was first born, which was interesting. They only spoke Italian. So my formative years, I got to be with my great grandparents and then we moved to North Andover with my grandparents. So I got to spend a lot of time with the other generation, I guess the older generation. I went to Kittredge School, I sat behind John McFay mm-hmm. almost the entirety of my <laughs> elementary school years, and then to North Andover Middle School. Um, and then I went to Phillips Exeter as a boarding student, so it was an interesting experience. Uh, as I was saying to you before, I was a DJ <laughs> in high school. Yeah, so, we just found that out. Yeah, love music. I was a DJ and I was the music manager of our station, so I spent a lot of time sorting music and picking the new hits, I guess. And I spent a semester abroad when I was there. I lived in Mexico, I lived with a family, and um, got to learn some Spanish. I was not the best Spanish student in the school, so I never thought I was gonna get chosen, but I did. I applied anyway, and I got in. Um, And then I went to Bowdoin College, and I was a DJ there my whole four years. (laughs) Um, And I spent a year at the um, Catholic University in Ecuador. Nice. So I was just enrolled as a regular student because I already knew Spanish. And so I didn't get to go on a study abroad program. I had to make my own way, which was really interesting. I lived with all the Latin American students who were studying abroad also. And then um, after that, I went and I actually worked at a music company <laughs> interviewing um, interviewing stars, I guess you can say, but people who were on independent labels. So I had, we had a national radio show and I helped produce. and. Um, that was really a lot of fun, went to a lot of concerts and really enjoyed that. And then I worked at the family business with my dad for sure. many, many years. so working doing construction project management. and while I was there, I went back to school, got my master's while I had kids, which was a challenge. I have to say definitely go get your masters before you have kids. I agree. Um, <laughs> and then I did an advanced leadership program after that at Harvard, which was for people who were in um, construction and development and real estate. so. Wow. And then uh, now I'm a state rep.
0: So how I ended rep.
1: up here, who knows? But here I am.
0: <laughs> so we, we got uh, to talk more. I didn't know about this music background of yours here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of our ultimate goals is... Um, you know, the podcast has been going great. We have a lot with our music programs, and we're looking to possibly do something like with a an internet radio station. That's kind of one of our next things. So you're the person we're going to talk to. Yeah. And being a state rep, maybe you and Diana can get me a little money to maybe kick that off or whatever. Uh-huh. So we'll, we'll have that conversation <laughs> offline. But lots more important things to talk about. So, Christina, let's start off with the same question we're going to ask all of the six people in the Savage Leadership series is how would you describe christina minacucci's leadership style
1: i think it's a really interesting question as i was thinking about this this morning what is my leadership style and i think it has evolved over time so i um i think the challenging part of leaders and people who become good leaders is they like to lead they have opinions they like to have they have strong opinions and sometimes they like to dominate the show so i think one of the hardest things about becoming a good leader is learning how to step back and also follow so you may have good ideas and you may know how you want things to go, but you need to start finding good people and finding the gaps in your own leadership, finding the gaps in your own knowledge and filling that with good people who can take over and then you can follow. So some so part of being a good leader is also being a good follower, right? Is, is being able to know when, You've picked the right people when you've delegated to the right people who are going to do okay without you micromanaging the whole process, right? So the difference between a leader and a micromanager, I think, is one of the most important things. And it takes a while, I think, to get to that point because you know you have to be courageous to be a leader. Sometimes you have to make hard choices. Um, but a lot of it is, um, but a lot of it is kind of learning as you go, I guess, and not being stuck in your ways.
0: Absolutely, and I've learned a little bit from you on that. We we talked weeks ago about, you know, your campaign and you know how you kind of delegated a lot of work to people that you weren't going to micromanage, people that you know could get their job done, getting you reelected and things like that. And it sounds like that's a perfect example of some of the stuff you just said. So, with that said, what would you say your leadership values are?
1: Well. I'm actually in a leadership class right now, which is for our local leaders in the Merrimack Valley. And we've had to talk about this a lot, talk about what are our values, what informs our decision-making, what informs our leadership style. And so for me, I always say that Everything I do is framed by my family, my friends, which I call my family and my community. So I always have like, you know, my family, my friends and my inner network, but also my community as a whole in mind whenever I make a decision or whatever it is that I'm gonna support or or move forward. And then I always do it with compassion. So I find the things that I'm most passionate about, but do it with compassion and remember that the things that I do impact others. So it's not just about me. It's never just about you. It's always about the ripple effect and then do it with integrity. So just being honest and having integrity. And I remember when my son was really little, he said he didn't know what integrity meant. And we said, well, it's doing the right thing even when no one's watching. And I always remember that and say, you always have to have integrity and you always have to do the right thing. And you're not doing it for attention or you're not doing it because um, someone's watching you, but you do it because it's what's right, and you're following your moral compass. I guess so.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that. Uh, you studied, as you said, Bowdoin College. I didn't know you studied abroad in Ecuador, but let's kind of combine that. You're, you went to to Maine, Bowdoin, a great academic school, um, and then obviously you spent you know a a semester, a year in Ecuador. How has that experience as, as a young student shaped your early leadership skills?
1: Well, when I got to Bowdoin, I had no idea what I was going to do. Well, I thought I was going to be a biologist, but little did I know I'm not good at biology. But at the time, it seemed like a really good idea. I was going to be a biologist. I was going to you know, go in shark cages and swim with the dolphins. That is why I decided. Marine biology, Bowdoin was great for it on the ocean. And I had no idea what else I was going to do. So I went to one of those fairs of you know, how do you get involved in your community, which has always been important to me. I went to a fair, and I signed up to be a sexual assault hotline counselor which it seemed very interesting to me they did on-campus trainings and i said this sounds like something i could do and as i went through my time at bowdoin i became very involved with the local agency and um, i noticed that we were seeing trends in the school and so i said we need to do something about this we need to change how we do things so we decided to we went and got a grant from the state of maine myself and five of my friends and we started training high school kids on you know, on consent and healthy relationships. And so with the idea that when they got to college, that maybe they'd be in a different position and that life would look different for them. And so, you know, I feel like that was one of the first pieces of leadership that I got engaged in when I was in college because it was something I was really passionate about. Well, something I just found out about, became interested in, became passionate about as I learned more about it. And then I said, how can I get more involved and what can I do to make a change in my community? Something that I'm seeing that I don't like, how can I make it better? And so that was like one thing I did that I would say was leadership focused. Um, I also went to Ecuador. And, and i that's a funny way to think about leadership. But um, I went to my professor and I said, I want to study abroad. And he said, well, you've already studied abroad when you were in high school. So you can't just study abroad again. You need to do something more or else I can't give you credit. So he was like, here's some ideas. I know somebody in Ecuador. Why don't you call her and see if you can go to the school? So I I literally called this woman in Ecuador and said, would it be okay if I enrolled in your university? And she's like, sure, come on down and come see me. Just you need to bring the money. (laughs) I said, we'd love to have you. And so I flew there. I knew nobody. I got on a plane. I flew. I stayed in a hotel for two nights. And then I had to find myself a place to live. So I like Met some people and found a place to live, and enrolled myself in the university, and went to school with people from all over, um, but not the United States. And um, I didn't really speak the language that well, but. I had to kind of bumble my way through. So it was like, you know, I consider that leadership in the sense that I did something for, it was for myself, So, uh, but I was I sort of was taking control of my life and saying, this is something I want to do. How to, it, And so it taught me about goals and setting goals and finding innovative ways, I guess, to reach those goals. So look at the
0: experience of even how you got to equity. Just <laughs> listening to the story, uh, some parents of kids that... Would be thinking that track would be scared. Like, where's she gonna live? How's she gonna get there? Oh my God, is it safe or whatever? You seem to kind of—I don't want to use the word wing it. But yeah. You kind of wung it a little bit, and it worked. <laughs> that to me in itself is leadership. Like, how crazy was just getting yourself situated there?
1: Oh uh, yeah. So you—I you, mean, if you, if you had my parents tell you this story, it would probably be very different. Like when I came home, my dad had gray hair, and when I left, he had black hair. So I always say, like, I think that I made his hair turn gray. Um, but i had this idea that i said well i have a connection people do this all the time you know i have a plan my plan is i'm going to stay in a hotel for a couple days there's a place where americans congregate and share information and i knew about that so i said i'm going to make sure i go to that place and i said i'm going to just make it happen like i know i i know i'm enrolled in school they're not going to let me totally fail right so you know my idea was um, if I put the good things out to the universe, it was going to come back. But I also had a little bit of a plan, but you know, this was pre-cell phones and in Ecuador at the time, they really didn't have a very strong infrastructure. So now with cell phones, they don't have to worry that they didn't have phone infrastructure. But at the time you had to go to a pay phone and stand in line to make phone calls. So my parents couldn't call me and I couldn't call them yeah. unless I got in line <laughs> and waited. And the mail was very slow and there was no email. So sometimes my parents wouldn't hear from me for many weeks. So that was something I knew was going to happen, but was a little bit of a of a shock, I think, that I wasn't quite ready for. But um, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience.
0: Kids today don't understand what we, what we had to do back then. I mean, pay phones, they don't even know what a pay phone is. <laughs> uh, email, <laughs> things like that. But, uh,
1: and they had rolling blackouts there, too. And oh, so sure. every seven, so you only had every every day, seven hours or so of the day, you didn't have power. And okay. it would roll throughout the city. And it went like that for a month because they have hydroelectric power. It was a drought. So I'd go to class sometimes, and they'd have no power in the building, and you'd walk up to the 14th floor, and you'd bring a headlamp if it was in the evening, and that's just what you did, and people were just used to it. But you could wait in that line for the phone, and the power went out, they'd say, sorry, no more phone calls today, and you'd have to turn around and go home. Wow. So, but it was a very interesting experience for me. Um, Obviously, it helped me. I speak Spanish fairly well now, Um, but it was an interesting experience for me, for sure. But it it helps me with my kids, too. Because Absolutely. it helps me let things go a little bit when they want to do things that, as a parent, I'm afraid of. Yeah. And then I say, okay, what was I like when I was 18? You know, did, would I do yeah. this? Yes, I probably would have done that. You know, and like, does it? You know, do they have a plan? Do they have a safety plan? And do they know what they're doing? That's what they need, and that's yeah. it.
0: So. And that's true leadership. So I, I got to know your father when I first started here, and I would consider him a guy that I really looked up to, um, in knowing what North Anna was all about and what it ticks. Um, I was actually able to meet your mother for the first time during our vaccination (laughs) clinic here, and she's been a very uh, successful nurse. Uh, I think you said she's retired now. Mm -hmm. But in terms of your dad, who's still working and has built a a very big business, which you work for, your brother worked for, um, and, and is still very well known in town, the business, what have you learned in terms of leadership from both your mom and dad, and how has that affected, even with your husband and your kids, how has family grounded you?
1: well my family from every layer of my family always just very hard workers just really busy busy people always doing something and always giving back so working hard for themselves and their family to provide for the family but every everyone in my family always gave back to the community they were always um volunteers and always the types of people who did did things but kind of low-key a lot of times especially my mother I mean, that, that woman, I called her, and said, hey, mom, want to come volunteer at the vaccine clinic? She mm. was the first person here waiting for the doors to open, sure. right? Always happy to do it. Um, my grandmother uh, was always at the senior center when she was alive. She was one of the original people who started those dolls that they still make oh, today, yeah, and yeah. then she made those dolls. She, there's a big quilt on the wall that she was part of. Um, but everybody was always really invested in the town and making sure things were better. So I always think that... Um, even when, things, even when you do something really small, it can make a difference. So every time you see something that you don't like or you say, I wish this were different, we all can actually make that change, right? If you see something that you would like to change, you can do it. Everybody can do it, no matter how small. Everybody can play their part. And so you might not be the person leading the project, but you could be the person who brings up the idea or who talks to five friends and says hey do you think this let's go bring this to the select board or let's go bring this to the town manager or to you to rick Rick, you know what i think we need and i think that my parents have always that's always been something that that they have done when they've seen something they do something about it and and they always try to fill the need and they're always there to help people my dad was always on the board of every different organization. And and my mom worked a lot of hours. She worked every other weekend. You know, we would celebrate Christmas at 4 p.m. because she's a nurse. And when a nurse works Christmas, we would celebrate after she came home. And so I spent so much time with my dad, just being carted around to all the different places where he would go. He worked for the town of North Andover for many years. He was the executive director of the housing authority and he had his business on the side that he would do on the weekends but he also was um, president of the board of the boys and girls club and then of the merrimack valley chamber the united way and you know i was always there with him at all these meetings and, and learning how to volunteer and learning how to give back and learning how important it is that um, to, to always make a difference. So no matter, again, no matter what it is, no matter how small it is, like maybe you're just doing a mailing that you're sending out, but that mailing might be getting out to somebody who contributes a new wing to the youth center, right? So every little thing that people do make a difference no matter the age. And so I try to, um, You know, not force my kids to do what I did because my parents never forced me to do what I did. They just showed me the way, Mm -hmm. and I copied. (laughs) Um, And they they modeled good behavior and and how to be good citizens, and so I was able to sort of follow in their footsteps without really trying.
0: Yeah. How does how does your husband and your kids ground the ever busy state representative, (laughs) Kristen? Kristen
1: (laughs) It's it's not easy (laughs) Um, because yes, I am busy and. In some ways, this world of being home more, like working from home more, has been helpful because I do get to eat every meal with my family now that I never used to be able to do. I'd miss some evenings, um, but it, it does remind me that I, you know, I need to carve out time all the time for my family because they're, you know, an important part of my life. Obviously, sure. I have three kids, and um, always making sure that. Uh, you know, we take Sundays off and we try to um, make sure that we set aside at least one night a week where everybody doesn't have activities where we can really sit down and have dinner. Right now, like I said, we all pretty much have a free enough schedule that we all can, but it's not just my schedule. It's their schedules too. The kids have so much going on with their activities in the evening. So we do try to stay focused. And, you know, the good thing is they remind me what is important and what I should be fighting for every day because I've got three kids who know that however we leave this world we're leaving it to them sure, right so sure. they remind me what things are important and and you know keeping my eye on the prize I guess so. yeah
0: for sure. So before the representative, uh, Christina Minacucci, you did, as we said, work with the family business, you ended up getting an MBA from Suffolk, and you have an advanced leadership degree um, from Harvard. How would you say at that point in time you were thinking in terms of a mindset of from a business perspective and where you were going in terms of leadership, and how did both of those degrees enhance where you are going with as being a leader?
1: Well, so I started college as i said i was going to be a biology major i was horrible at biology i barely scraped by the classes i took and then i became a spanish major because i liked it so much with the latin american studies concentration i'm very good at math i loved math i took math classes for fun in college and i was always involved in the family business so i understood finances and all of that was just sort of ingrained into me that's what we sat and talked about at the table with my grandfather because he only always talked business And um, so at some point I said, I probably need to go back to school and prove to people that I actually am good at math because they look at my resume and say, you're a Spanish major, how do you possibly know how to run numbers? How can you do finance? How can you do any of these things? You, You don't have any experience. So I was like, I better go back to school and just sort of, you know, make it official that I can do math. And so as I, when I got to, grad school, I I wasn't quite sure what to expect in an MBA program. And there was a professor in Andover that just, it just blew me away. He was so amazing. And his focus was entrepreneurship and organizational behavior. So like, how do people work? How do organizations work? How do you, you know, power and conflict? How do you balance, you know, power? How do you, you know, how do you wield power as a leader? How do you manage conflict? How do you negotiate? So how do you, negotiate to a point it's not i win you lose it should be if we come together we're going to we're going to get better right if we can both come to a place where we're both winning now we're multiplying the benefit and so sort of all these ideas that i hadn't really thought about and again i i ended up being away from the finance and the math which is why i had gone there and started moving more towards how do you run a good business how do you run a good organization and how do you empower people that work for you to be better so how do you get to that you know, exponentially better versus me win, you lose situation. And so um, I ended up having a focus in entrepreneurship Um, and in thinking about, you know, how do you be a better leader? How do you have more emotional intelligence? You know, a lot of leaders don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. They throw a, you know, throw a tantrum if they don't get what they want. And sometimes they bark orders at people or they micromanage people. They don't find those things that are, really amazing about each employee and, and amplify it and help them use those special talents to be better. Sure. Right. So, you know, I always find that, um, that a big part of what I learned was sitting and listening to people and getting to know them and finding out all these weird things like, oh, you were a DJ. Oh, you know, you, yeah. you speak Spanish and like finding these sort of fun facts about them and then realizing that those fun facts sometimes are what is really special about them and most of those talents can be used in any industry like it doesn't matter if you you know if if you know finance if all of a sudden you're a really good writer and you can take those financial statements and make them make sense to a regular person well there's your talent and that's how you are. it can be slotted into any industry so um, that was i think what was most important to me about that about my MBA was sort of this understanding that, um, like, who am I, what am I not good at at all? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And make sure that as I move forward, the people I hire always are filling the gap in me that I'm really bad at. Okay, well, I want to make sure that I I always have somebody by my side who's really good at that one thing. Um, So I love that. There's
0: a lot of self-evaluation on who you are and... What you're good at and what you're mm-hmm. not good at, and yeah. uh, I think the mistake a lot of um, leaders make is that they don't look in the mirror and look at you know their strengths, their weaknesses, how they can get better. We we talk around here about never resting on our laurels. Like we had a phenomenal last year summer, we we made history here, but the reality is next summer's going to be better, and how we can do that. Okay. So let me ask you: after you got your MBA and then your advanced leadership degree, we with the business. You've now, at this point in your life, worked for your father, which is interesting, right? So mm-hmm. it's a direct family member, but you've worked for other people, whether it be on committees or whatever. Mm-hmm. What type of leader did Chris, Christina Minakuchi love to work for, and what type of a leader did you most struggle with?
1: I would say, when we talk about the self-reflection piece, yeah, the leaders that self-reflect and acknowledge their own weaknesses are my favorite types of leaders. Those are the types of people I can always work for because they're willing to accept when something doesn't go right and say, okay, that didn't go right. We need to, we hear this word all the time now, pivot. But we need to make a change and we we didn't do that right. What can we do better? Um, and ones that say, I'm just horrible at this and I know I'm bad at it. Can we, who can we find who can do this thing and do it better than me? And not always have to do things for for recognition that always frustrated me when you have someone who's running a company and all they want is their own is is they just want accolades they want to be in the paper they want people to acknowledge them as being great at what they do even though everyone no one gets where they are without the people in their team you know it's 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 a group effort we all have to work together to get somewhere so while one person might be at the top and they might take all the credit it's usually the sum of everybody's work and so I always like working for the people who appreciate that it's all a team it's 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 all It's all thanks to the team. I mean, you're good at this, right? You know, okay, well, you're here and you're the director, but you know that those kids that were out there working all summer did all the hard work to help make it successful, right? And without them, there's no program. So um, I feel like leaders who acknowledge that they're not the only person (laughs) um, are the best ones. I did. I had one boss who was an absolutely amazingly intelligent, innovative person, had the best ideas. I worked for her. She was selling CDs on the internet before Amazon existed. No one was doing this. Just her. This was her idea. She was written up in magazines like, this woman is selling CDs on the internet. And I was like, I can't wait. I'm so excited to work for this person. It's going to be the best. She's selling CDs on the internet. And everybody just blew past her and she went nowhere because she would never ask people for help. She would never share credit. She was so stuck on her ideas that she was not able to take advice from people who knew more than her, right? right. So she had ideas, but had no business sense. So here's a person who could have been Amazon <laughs> and instead just went bankrupt. And so, um, but it was a really good example of, it's more than just the idea that gets you places it's the idea and being willing to take help and being willing to find good partners and find you know good it, it's employers. incredible i, I kind of relate
0: that story a little bit to uh blackberry and, and the iphone so well, at one point and again you and i go back to when they didn't have cell phones yeah. and stuff but you know the big thing was to get a blackberry at one point and it was all of this it was going to make your job easier et cetera, et cetera. and the problem was they never evolved and then they got bypassed and mm-hmm. then it's a point now where it's like We almost kind of laugh about our Blackberry days. Now, Blackberry still exists to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. but at one point they were the king of the world and they didn't have the vision to keep going and keep evolving and kind of was just resting on their laurels and they Mm -hmm. got passed by on that. And it's it's interesting. So let me ask you, you're in a comfortable situation. That might not be the best word. You're working (laughs) for your family, you're successful, you got an MBA, you're well on your track. And then somehow, someway, you wake up one morning and say, I want to get into politics. (laughs) How did that happen? And tell me how politics and leadership may be totally different than other type of leadership.
1: Well, it wasn't exactly, I didn't wake up one day, it didn't pan out exactly like that. But it wasn't, that's not far off. I definitely said, I will never run for office. So I always worked on other people's campaigns. That was something that... My grandfather said, I can vote, like, you know, he he said, I can vote. I need to give my vote. I got to vote every time. My dad was the same way. My mom was the same way. They said, we always, always support good candidates. So you got to take the time to investigate the candidates, and then you need to vote every time. And so that was always something that, as a kid, I mean, I was in fourth grade holding signs with my grandfather. (laughs) It didn't matter when it was. We were always participating in races, and I always participated in supporting candidates. I supported Dave Teresi right when I got out of college and I helped work on his campaign with his sister was the, um, was his campaign manager. And it was always something I had to do. And so, um, but I never thought I would run for office because I was never particularly interested in being the person sitting in the seat, but I knew how important the role was. Um, so when I was approached by a couple of different people, when Diana decided to go on to Senate, mm-hmm. They said, there's a hole, we need someone to fill it. And I said, okay. And I gave people lists of names. They were like, no, no, we're thinking you. I'm just like, this isn't something I'd ever do. And what really changed my mind was when my husband said, you have been sitting on boards and volunteering at organizations and helping people in the community for as long as I can remember. He's like, I can't even remember a time when you were not involved in something, in some sort of volunteer work or volunteer position. You're basically going to be doing the same thing, and it's just going to be your job instead of a extracurricular <laughs> and you're gonna get paid for it. And that's gonna be the only difference. You're gonna be doing exactly what you're doing already, just at a bigger scale. And he said, and the benefit is instead of you sitting on a board and trying to raise money and doing all the things you do, like you can sit at the state level and you can be making impacts in the budget and determining where funding goes and funding programs that are important you know what's weak in our schools and you know what's weak in all these different places you know where we need to make structural change and in that position you'll be able to do that so he's like you'll be able to sort of take what you've always done but make it much bigger Mm -hmm. and i never thought about it that way but that is a big part of what this job is it's like you know helping people every day that's all i do i help i mean we've Answered thousands, literally many thousands of constituent calls over the past year, helping people with all kinds of even basic things like where do I get food or help me with my unemployment insurance. It, it doesn't matter what it is we have. And then also doing bigger things like supporting the Student Opportunity Act, which was a huge overhaul of the educational, you know, the way we fund education in the state. And that was really important. We just did the climate bill and I was able to get my amendments put in to help with gas safety, which is so important to our district. So there was somebody there who lives here in the Merrimack Valley who went to the state house and said, this is important to us. I know you don't think it's important, but it's important to me and the people who live in my community. So I never really gave it a lot of credence (laughs) until I sat in the job and I said, oh, well, there is a lot that I can do to help my community. Um, so, so, how did the leadership
0: that you had, that you've evolved at that point, help you become a? And, and the thing is, you're even too humble. The, the amount of work that you've done during <laughs> this whole pandemic is amazing to us. You're a great friend of the center. Um, but like, what what was some of maybe the strong leadership skills that you had that helped you with the job? And maybe how was, how was your leadership evolving now that you are a state rep?
1: Well. I was always a project manager, so the project management piece is not really necessarily a leadership piece, though it is, but it's good. It helped me be able to keep track of what was going on, So, and I'm very detail-oriented, so I'm always able to sort of keep my eye on things, like make sure I don't forget to follow up with people and sort of keep my eye on things, so I had that sort of skill in the background that's not necessarily a leadership skill but important,
0: sure. um,
1: but being a project manager is all about convening people. And you convene all kinds of people all the time. And sometimes people that don't like each other at all. So mm. if I'm working on a construction project, which is a lot of what I was doing with project management, I would have an angry cider complaining with the angry roofer who's mad at the electrician. And everybody's mad about somebody, about know, well, something all the time. And so my job was always to convene these people and figure out how we're gonna make it work and get over whatever their gripe is and move forward. And so um, that is a skill that I already had. And I do have to use that skill often in my job. So (laughs) those two skills I already had, I use a lot. Um, Things that I have gotten better at, and I've always been a good listener because I did work as a hotline counselor for a long time. So I would just pick up a hotline. I worked the night shift a lot. um, And a lot of that is just listening to people. So you pick up the phone and you listen to people and that's what I do in this job. And a lot of it is people just need someone to hear them. Um, and I've had to use that skill a lot this year, where people have experienced a lot of trauma and have, are in really difficult situations and are just holding on by a thread. And I've really been that person on the other end of the line that's just listening to them, even if I can't solve the problem. Some problems just are not easily solvable. And even if I can't fix it immediately, they're just happy someone listened. So. I think that what I've gotten better at and maybe honed the skill a little bit more is um, trying to build consensus. So that's something I have done before, but I have to do a lot more now. So before it was more, how do I get people not to be angry at each other? Now I have to do more of, I need to go person to person and convince them that what I want is best. (laughs) So, um, you know, like getting things put into the climate bill about gas safety. Nobody is as aware of gas safety as we are here in the Merrimack Valley, but in the rest of the state, there are people who do that. So I had to go and talk to people in all different parts of the state who represent all different types of people and explain to them why this thing that I want to have passed impacts them and impacts the people in their community, and find a way to make that connection. Why it's right for everybody, not just for my people. So,
0: right. Let me let me throw this into you. as coming from that is so. Diana is in the state senate now, but mm-hmm. all of your other predecessors never really had to deal with a global pandemic because nobody's dealt with a global <laughs> pandemic. Describes a, maybe a time in the last year that you've had to make a difficult decision, and what helped guide your decision.
1: A difficult decision, well.
0: And it doesn't have to be the pandemic, I'm just thinking you've had such a crazy year um, as we all have and you've probably had to make some decisions which maybe consensus wasn't something that came easy, but um, so maybe a decision and again, what helped you guide that decision? Well,
1: I would say that almost everything that we vote on or a lot of the things that we discuss at the Statehouse is controversial in some way. There's always people who want it and people who don't. And um, sometimes the people that don't want it are the loudest and sometimes they can be the most difficult people to have to talk to. And I know a lot of reps, maybe they don't call back every person. I try to call back every person and, and listen to their perspective. But I think it's really hard when you're voting on something that is considered controversial in a certain way because you do have to take a lot of heat and it's not always fun and games <laughs> um and i the way that i inform the decisions i make and i do a lot of research so a lot of times i'm very nerdy obviously i've, I've been a student for a long time and i'm back in school again i love to learn and i love to get better at and, and just i like to know everything and so i do a lot of research before i make decisions and and so i feel I feel solid in whatever it is that my decision is, and that it's going to be best for the community, even if it's not best for everybody. It can't be best for everybody because everyone is going to have a different opinion, so everyone's not going to be happy. But what is best for the community as a whole is the way I vote. And so, you know, that comes up on just about every bill that we have to vote. There are people who are coming to me saying, This is horrible, this is the worst thing that's ever happened, and I have to take that into consideration and do the research, and make the right decision for the district. Because the district comes first, in my mind, anyway. And are you pretty
0: confident, and I I sense that you are, and I think I know the answer to this, but when you do your research, you get informed, and you make a decision, you're pretty comfortable with your decision.
1: Yes. I I, I really, I've had to spend sometimes all night (laughs) studying, because sometimes we don't get enough time. I'm, I'm lucky, because I... Serve with trauma and the two of us. And she also, like me, is might be a night owl, but like me, she's not satisfied until she has like turned over every stone and done 100% of her research. And so it's good to have a partner like her um, so that we can kind of bounce ideas off each other, think through everything, and work together to get to the answers that we're looking for. And we do try to talk to everybody. Like we're both, I think, very committed to talking to all the stakeholders, not just the echo chamber. Not just, I'm going to go to the people who support me and, because that's the, I like to go to everybody and try to, um, and try to get the, the right, the right answers or get, get all the information, I should say. So get all the information. And, and obviously we work with Diana and Bruce very closely too, but they vote usually at different times than us. And sometimes their bills look a little different, but we both are always talking to Diana and Bruce, like Diana and I went for a hike last week because we try to get together every once in a while and just talk about what's going
0: on and then relax and, you know, <laughs> chat too. I think so. the four of you work really well together, but I've actually watched you and Tram, obviously, as both reps. You guys are amazing. Tram, Tram's awesome. Um, we don't see her as much as we see you, but um, she's, you know, when we got honored by you, Tram was here. Uh, Tram is very involved with our community and stuff. You guys are a nice team. You started to lead into this, so I think this, this question is going to be kind of an easy one to you is, You said you're back in school now. My next question was around, how do you grow your leadership? So one of my problems, and whether it's the BlackBerry scenario I used or whatever, but how do you continue to not rest on your laurels, educate yourself more, and grow your leadership?
1: Yeah. So I I am in a program called LEADS. It's called the Lawrence LEADS program. And um, it's the second time this program has been run in conjunction with uh, the city of Lawrence and Harvard Business School and they expanded it this year to include a lowell cohort and a Haver cohort and since covid we all meet together on zoom and it's you know not the same experience you might get in person but it's just leaders in the community who want to make the merrimack valley a better place and so um, it's been a very, it's, it's been an eye-opening experience because even though I was in school in 2013, it's, it's been a long time and things have changed. And with um, you know, the murder of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and, and sort of a movement to be more intentional about racial equity and um, using a racial equity lens, um, that's something that is important to me and important to me in forming my future leadership. And so we have to come up with projects. And so the project that I'm working on with my group of, there's 12 of us, is we're working on um, how can we be more intentional about racial equity and how can we do, you know, is there a way that we can create a framework for businesses or organizations to say, I'm gonna put this racial equity lens on my organization. I'm gonna look at it when I'm hiring people. Like, what can I do to, to encourage better, Um, to encourage more people to apply, and people of color to apply, and to how can we support future leaders? And so part of that is building the pipeline of leadership for people of color. And so um, there are a number of districts across the the Commonwealth, for example, that are majority minority communities that have always been represented by a white representative, and why is that? And so how do we build a pipeline for future leaders? and how do we make sure that our organizations are thinking about making a more inviting environment too? So it's not just about how, it's about um, building the pipeline to leadership, but also um, encouraging and supporting future leaders and supporting people when they get into roles that um, leadership roles. How do we support? How do we support all of those leaders to get to the next level? So that's our project. Yeah. And we're just starting that out. So that's something that I would say, it's not that it's new, but I think that I'm trying to be more intentional. So make sure that, I am, that I'm really um, practicing what I preach, I guess. So um, when I make decisions, I always think about it from a racial equity perspective, especially where I represent Lawrence, I represent Haverhill, I represent Methuen, not just North Andover. And so my district is very diverse. And I can't be making decisions um, without taking a minute to step back and say, what is the unintended consequence or maybe the intended consequence of, of whatever proposals we're putting forward. So. I,
0: I love the use of the word intentional and, and the meaning behind all of it. You, I get a kick out of you sometimes on social media. So. We, we know you as the state rep. We will always know you as linked with your father's business. Um, but I think don't think people know unless you see pictures of her, You are also a scout leader. Uh, you also do a number of other things. I'd like to know some of the things that you maybe do with those things, non-representative Minacucci, that help you become a leader in your real job as representative Minacucci. So why the heck are you a boy scout leader? <laughs>
1: kind of like everything else i got roped in um so my oldest son is 18 now he started in first grade he didn't like sports so i was like well you need a team sport everyone needs a team sport you got to learn how to you got to learn how to work with other people what do you want to do and he said well there's this thing called Cub scouts (laughs) so i was like all right that's what you're doing um and so he joined and then my younger son joined and at that point you know i was now a known entity as a parent because i was there and my kids in tow and so I became a scout leader. And um, so I did that when they were Cub Scouts. I transferred over to Treasurer. Then when my son moved up to Boy Scouts, they suckered me into Treasurer there too. Um, and then, you know, just as part of it, Boy Scouts, really a lot of it, which is now called Scouts because it's sure. co-ed. So I'm the scout master of the girls because my daughter wanted to do it. Um we, it's all about building leadership it's all about building leadership skills and building future leaders so um a lot of what you do is you you have to try to encourage but not do it for anybody so um so it's really hard sometimes to nudge kids along Um, But I always kind of naturally find myself in that position of a nudger. Mm -hmm. And so um, the more that I nudge kids along and then I would see all of this potential in some of these boys and see them lagging and say, so I just would step up and say, oh, you need someone to do this merit badge? I can lead that. I'm I'm actually a trained running coach. So I'm like, I'll lead the personal fitness badge. That's the hardest one. So I you know, got roped into that. Then I got roped into it. An, and so before I knew it, I was doing everything um, because. Roped I, in. I always say you roped club. in. So <laughs> use
0: the word roped in. But I, knowing you, I don't think it took a lot of convincing. No,
1: no. I, so we have a club. It's called the Rubber Arm Club. <laughs> you say, I was thinking about. And then my answer is, I'm in. And then I go, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> so my, I said, I'm going to make T-shirts. I'm in. Wait, what are we doing? Um, because I say it, but um, you know, it's for it, it was for the good of these of these young boys. So I was like, boy, they're doing such a great job. Like I see so much potential, but they need this one thing in order to be able to advance. I can fill that, right? I can I can give them that one thing they need to move forward. And so here I am. And speaking of Bruce Tarr. He just gets a, you know, a good chuckle out of me showing up in my brown shirt to present my citations to the Eagle Scouts. And he's in his suit and Trom's in her fancy dress. And I'm in my brown shirt. And so he he always gets a good laugh out of it. But, um, but the Scout, you know, Scouts has been important to my family, to my, my boys, but to my daughter, too. She's always been along for the ride. And now she's a Scout. And our girls are amazing. And they're doing amazing things. And we have a um a pending eagle scout girl right now who's like on her way she presented her project last night so um but i like i like that we can just give them some skills we're like here are the tools see what they do with it and then help guide them to use those tools more efficiently right and Mm -hmm. the leadership skills and um getting out into nature which to me grounds me we talk about things that ground you like that was important to me when i was in high school i did a three-week backpacking trip in the um, Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. And that was like a transformative experience for me. And just, I had never hiked a step in my life. and <laughs> Here I was with like a 20-pound pack going, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and I was with a group. And, and it was like, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I learned how to whitewater chi- uh, um canoe and you know, it just really fostered my love of nature and of adventure. And so um I like to encourage my kids to do that. And my son has been to New Mexico twice on two like seventy mile through hikes in the backcountry and and so I I like Scouts is just a mechanism to get there and it's a structure that's in place. I mean we could just as easily have an outdoor club in town that does all these things. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think that it's really important to teach younger. So you teach your young folks to teach younger kids, to empower them to be able to be self-sufficient and all those things, so.
0: I, I want to tell our listeners, Christina is not in her scout outfit today, so, um, <laughs> I thought you know, about you know, it. Let me throw a quote at you. And um, I'd like, like you to kind of digest the quote for a quick second and tell me what this quote means. It's a Jack Canfield quote. But I thought of you when I saw this quote, successful people maintain a positive focus in life no matter what is going around them. What does that mean to Christina Minacucci?
1: Well, I am a very positive person. So I I generally always think everything is going to be okay. (laughs) And so obviously like me going here, I am going to go on this trip. I know nothing about it, but it's going to be fine because I'm gonna put my mind to it and it's yeah. gonna be great. So I do feel like a lot of, um, that when I throw the positive energy out into the universe, I feel like it comes back tenfold. So I think a big piece of encouraging people to, to, be, their best, to be their best person, whatever that may be, a lot of it is just having um, the belief in them that they in fact can be their best person and they can do these things that they don't think are insurmountable. And when i was little from when i was very very little the word can't was banned in my house you were not allowed to say can't ever and so like if i ever even attempted to say it my dad would say never say you can't and he would always say that and that has stuck in my head and my kids hear it from me because now i say it to them because it might be hard and i could say you could say this is hard for me can you help that's okay like this is hard for me can you you know how can we get around this challenge? Those ways, that's fine, right? You can accept that things are hard and there are things that are really hard to move forward, but you've got to always think there's a way, (laughs) right? Like You've always got to be able to find a way. And I think if you commit to it, you usually can find a way and not always, obviously, but usually you can get yourself to a better place with a a positive way of thinking.
0: I love it. All right, a few more questions for you. As a state rep in the the month of April 2021, in the year like no other, what what for you is the most pressing issue you're dealing with right now? Is it pandemic-related? Is it um, student opportunity education stuff? What is the most pressing issue for you right now?
1: Well, I think um, everything is sort of pandemic-related right now, but also the pandemic really just, just like, shh put a big spotlight on stuff that already existed. So you can say it's pandemic related, but I think it's just structural. Um, you know, people are really in a really tough place right now in our community. And I think sometimes a lot of us for you know in the community think everybody's fine, everybody's doing great but um, a lot of people are really just holding on. Um, And so I I see that. I see that with food insecurity is really high. So I talked with you a little bit about like trying to find a way to um, bring more food opportunities to North Andover and not assume it's a problem that happens elsewhere. It happens here, it happens everywhere. Everybody is struggling. And you know people are struggling to make rent and to make their you know car payments and there's a lot of um, just uncertainty. But I think sort of the overarching thing that concerns me most is the sort of the trauma piece of this of this past year. You know we came off of the gas explosions trauma. People were not even fully recovered from that trauma. We were only 18 months in, and here we went with a new a new um, pandemic or you know a new trauma. And people, um, especially young people are just um, maybe are going to need a little bit of um, of extra kindness, I think, to help them process everything that's gone on because a lot of people are, are being really tough. But once everything goes back to normal, I think people are gonna to start to fall apart a little bit more emotionally when they realize what they just came off of. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, yeah, one of the things that you and I have talked about, and um, and I'm obviously kid-centric, but I have been preaching for a year now that I'm concerned about the social-emotional aspect of our kids. Well, let me just say, it's not just kids, it's adults, just mm-hmm. like you mentioned, yep. and everybody else. But I think what people are missing the boat on is where more people are getting vaccinated, more people are seeing the spring come. And I don't think people understand the impact and the and the fallout from all of this in my world with the kids is going to be monumental. Kids are hurting. I think parents are hurting. Adults are hurting, too. But I don't think people fully understand that we're going to see the, the fallout of this for the next five to maybe ten years. And we need to address it and not act like the pandemic's over, everybody's going to be good, because people are hurting. And one of the things I'm most impressed about you and Tram and all of our legislative delegation is – that you recognize that and i think we have to have a forward visionary plan here of how we're going to deal post pandemic and you and i both know we're looking to be post pandemic we're looking to get back to better days but there's going to be a lot of things to come with that so i yeah. appreciate that that's a passion of yours uh, as well as your fellow um, legislators to try to help us on that uh let me ask you as you go down and you're a young woman, but when you think of stuff in terms of your leadership, how do you want to be remembered when maybe you call it a day in the politics or maybe many years in the future when you retire, how would you want to be remembered in terms of leadership?
1: Well, I guess I just want to be remembered as the person who was there for people when they needed them. (laughs) Um, And, to me, that's always most important: is just to be available, to be accessible, and to help everybody, and to um, hopefully leave a legacy of other leaders. That's sort of my plan. I always say, like, I don't, I don't want to do this job forever, but I want to set the stage for the next person, for yeah. the next great leader. Like, I want to make sure that um, that we always have good leaders, and we continue to have good leaders. And you know, when you look, you 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 deal with young people all the time, and you see there are there's kernels of amazing leadership in every kid that walks through this door <laughs> and you're like that person's going someplace right and you can just see it in all of these young people and i just want to know that whatever i've done is leave a legacy for them so that they can, so that i'm helping those little kernel of leadership kids you know get to the next level and so
0: i, I, I love have, that well, let, let me ask you, now you need to go back to that Bowdoin days, uh, <laughs> Ecuador days, you were graduating college, you know, you got a little bit into the music thing, you got into the family business, but I, I got a lot of kids that are graduating during a pandemic year. Um, what would you say to maybe those college seniors right now as they head out to what I call the real world in terms of leadership? What would you, what would you tell them in terms of building their own leadership?
1: Well... I say this sometimes for kids who are even going to college, but um, sometimes the job that you get is the job you have to get because you need to make money, right? So the first job I took, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I took a job because I needed to make money so that I could pay my rent. And that's why I chose that job. And I worked at a translation company doing editing. So, you know, how did I end up there? I don't know. But on the side, I knew what I was really passionate about. And I said, well, I'm gonna stick with my passion and always make sure I make time for my passion and then maybe something will arise from that passion so like maybe something will come of it and I continued doing the work of you know being a sexual assault hotline counselor because that was really important to me so I continued that I moved to Colorado and I continued doing that there I ended up being the only Spanish speaking counselor because they didn't have anybody who spoke native Spanish and I helped a lot of people I was able to continue to help people but that was just on the side for me that wasn't what I was doing like I'm a running coach. I am trained to be a running coach. I love running. So I coach cross country at the middle school mm-hmm. and I love it. And it's a, one of my favorite things. And that's just, I, I, I might not make money doing that, but like, you know, I do make some money made doing that usually, but I, I might not make money being a running coach, sure. but it is something I'm passionate about, and I feel like it it leads you into these new opportunities. And so sometimes, like, and so here I am, and part of how I am, where I am today, and now I'm co-chair of the Sexual Violence Task Force at the State House, because this one thing that I started doing in high in college then became something I did after college, then led me to be the vice chair of the board of the YWCA for you know for eight years, and then here I am, like making policy change. And so. Um, that was like, it's. It, it was, I maintained my passion for something that was important to me and I stuck with it. And so I think that sometimes kids get really like, oh, I don't want to do that job. That's not what I want to do. This, I want to, like, I have this, this big picture idea of where I want to be and where I want to go. And I think if you maintain your passion about that, you might get there, right? That's right. the, that's how you're going to get there. That's the path you're going to take. And maybe you have to take a job you don't love to pay the bills, but as long as you, always make time and stay focused on the things you're passionate about, I believe that you can get there. Great
0: advice. We're going to wrap up by uh, throwing five names out. You of known leaders and would like to hear you what your first response to the name is. It can be one word, it can be a sentence, whatever it may be, but uh, I've got five different... uh, leaders and I, I know you're a little nervous. You may not know the names, but this is like this is going
1: to be like the highest the point of stress that. all day. Like I'm sweating.
0: <laughs> Let me give you the first one. <laughs> Barack Obama. Uh,
1: compassionate. I think he's a compassionate leader, with a, and I, I used this before the strong moral compass. But I always feel like he stayed
0: focused on
1: what that, was important to him.
0: Absolutely. Um, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand.
1: Oh, she's tough as nails that woman didn't care that everyone hated her when she shut down the borders but yeah. she did what was right despite all of the naysayers and look at, they've had a you know
0: she's a phenomenal leader, I yeah. love reading about her and yeah. you're right, she had to make a very tough decision and a lot of people weren't happy with it but in the end she did what she thought was right and it turned out to be right it so, turned out to be right. right, she
1: did the right thing Oprah Winfrey oh she's empowering i think that she has been um really good at empowering the people around her and and lifting people up when she sees that that kernel of of you know of leadership or
0: i think that yeah empowering yeah for sure go with empowering. um kamala harris kamala harris Yeah, oh,
1: she's she's my idol she's amazing <laughs> <laughs> um, because she, she's she's the glass ceiling breaker Yeah. so um, but I think that she does she also you know she's her own person I think that she has um, she has just held the line on what's important to her and I like that she wears comfortable shoes that's yeah. important to me too as she you can see I have hiking Timberland, boots she, on she's <laughs> got the
0: chuck tail she's she quite the fashion alright okay. last one could be tough for you because you you to work with this individual um, Governor Charlie Baker.
1: well that's interesting I actually think he has two personas I think so he has his political he, he's a politician right so he definitely has his political persona and there are things he has to do to make certain people happy but I do think that on the things that really matter he's always right on Like, he's been really right on about stuff that's really important to me. um, In that, he has, um, when it comes to people and taking care of people, um, he does okay. But I don't always agree with him. It's funny because I don't have his cell phone number programmed into my cell phone, but I do have the lieutenant governor's cell phone number programmed into the cell phone. And I said, I just want to let you know you're doing a good job today. And then I said, "But don't be surprised when I see you tomorrow. I'll have something to say about it." <laughs> right? So, um, while I don't agree with everything, um, I, I do believe that he does um, that he does think things through before he makes decisions. So,
0: well said, well said. All right, we're going to give you what's called the final word. Um, so our listeners are every, every generation. Uh, you know, a lot of our high school kids listen to our podcast obviously all the professionals in town's parents, community leaders, so you got a, a full listening crew here. What would be your final word when it comes to leadership from the perspective of Christina Minacucci? Um,
1: I think the most important thing about being a leader is to um, know when, know when you need to step in and be the person who's making the tough decisions. And know when it's time for you to yield to those who you're trying to encourage to become the new leader. So knowing how to balance um, the times when it is necessary for you to, <laughs> to, to you know, drop the hammer and times when you, know, you really need to be encouraging. I love it.
0: Well said on the final word. Well, I want to thank you, Christina, for coming on the Youth Centered Podcast. This was terrific. Um, We're going to have it up later tonight, and uh, I know there's going to be a lot of takeaways for people. So this is going to conclude our second uh, on the Savage Leadership Series. Uh, We will be having my boss next week, Melissa Rodriguez, our very popular and successful town manager will be coming on. I'll I'll probably have to be, I probably can't grill her as much as I grill Christina, but we'll try to do that. I know she's going to be great. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it's been like, obviously, running a community uh, during a global pandemic, among other things of where she's come from and some of her leadership stuff. So once again, Christina, thanks for coming on the Youth Center Podcast. Thank you for having me. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion.